All right, and y'all are good to go. Amazing. Except I don't see Tony now. Oh. Oh, there you are. <laughs> okay, I see, and I see you now. Um, thank you for taking the time to uh, to talk to me. It is uh, it's a big honor as a um, formerly aspiring bassist who uh, was never particularly up to even remotely emulating <laughs> any of your bass licks. I like but, that. Uh, formally aspiring. I never heard those two words together like that. Formally, well, I don't even I'm writing know. it down. <laughs> formally uh, aspiring. I know. I know we don't have a lot of time, and, and I do have a ton of questions uh, for you. Um, and I wanted to start obviously with the film in the Court of the Crimson King, which I must say I've watched this film three times now, um, and I own the box set that came out, you know, a couple of months back with the soundtrack and and the Blu-ray and everything. And what I find really compelling about the film is, is literally the fact that I always find something new to appreciate and to understand about King Crimson, about Robert, and about the band, and about this, this last iteration of the band. Tell me about the first time you watched the film and, and what you got out of it. Uh, without saying too, I, I guess fairly on, or fairly fairly early on, I was uh, sent a link to see it, not completely finished, but pretty much the edit that was there. And uh, I, I was, it was magnetic how dark it was, funny, both. It started even back then with the Bill Bruford being very funny and describing yeah. the darkness of the band. And uh, then the notable scene, anyone who's seen it uh, knows the scene where Robert pauses while he's explaining something, I don't want to talk too much about it, but yeah. Uh, and and I thought I was in a hotel in Florida, and uh, he paused for so long that I thought my video feed had frozen. I thought my Wi-Fi was gone, <laughs> so right. I actually ended it. And and I I, I wrote to this management. I said I can't see it. It freezes in the middle. I'm, no, hang on. I need to learn that everybody thought that. And uh, uh, it was a very very fascinating to me. It was uh, emotionally tough for me. A lot of the the film, not there's so much in it, but one of the threads is is my good friend Bill Rieflin, yeah, one of the drummers in the band. Uh, really, for years was on tour, dying, knowing he was dying, and he chose to spend his last months and years touring with the band. As good friends as we were, we didn't really engage on that. But Toby, bless him, the, the director, he'd go into his dressing room and ask him, so what's that like? And he followed him home after the tour. So as you can imagine, it's heavy watching for anybody. And for me, one of Bill's close friends, uh, very heavy. So heavy yeah, and- You know, I really think that that's um, one of the beautiful things about the film mm. um, is you do get the story of King Crimson and its 50-year history. You get a lot of Robert Fripp, who... In, in many ways is an enigma to, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the hardcore fans, but yet you also get this really touching story about Bill who, you know, was, was a latter day member, you know, coming in, in in 2013. And yet his, his story is, it's, it's another one of those compelling pieces of the film in, in a film that has lots of compelling parts to it. Um, as a friend of his, does it, did it surprise you at all? at how open Bill was in really being open with his, with his health, with his situation 
and even that kind of determination of playing or was this the man that you always that you always knew yes doesn't surprise me that he's that way at all between the two of us it's me who didn't want to talk about it because i had <laughs> the kind of normal squeamishness about hey how long how many months you got left you know it's just yeah. not in me to, to have that conversation if i don't have to uh and i had to not have the conversation but uh, it was good for me to see the film in that way but yes the film has different aspects of it and 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 a lot of heart and a lot of truth really i Maybe if I had to pick one word about it, it there's a lot of truth in there. Uh, not right. all pretty. No, and that's that's you know one of the great things about you know what Toby does is he. Yeah. It, it's it's. I mean, I think it's a very celebratory film of the band of of certainly the the later iteration of the band, but the band of, uh, as a whole. But it also doesn't mince words, and I don't think you get a lot of that um, in any sort of you know quote unquote rockumentary for lack for lack of a better term. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like truth has always been a part of the King Crimson vibe, like truth in music, truth in what these musicians can do together. Is, is that sort of a fair analysis? That is a very good analysis. I never heard it made and we don't talk in those terms. But yeah, you're right. Uh, it's very hard for me, always has been, to try to describe what there is about King Crimson that makes it that God knows Toby asked me enough times. <laughs> ambushed me coming off stage and so what is it this band and i was like that's your problem dude it's you know i'm playing the bass here uh but you're right there's 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 just a lot to it it's really hard to pin it down but uh but i, I i'll tell you this for a yeah. guy who was in it for all these years what an opportunity it was for me and, and how grateful i am to to one to to be uh playing on stage with these great musicians who kind of pushed me to up my game and it's been challenging in many ways and, and, and also pushed me to the challenge of, of changing my playing, of having my playing grow and not do what I did in 1981. It really worked on the Discipline album and the, the next album. It, it's up to the listeners whether we actually change. But for us, we were like, OK, let's not do that anymore, as great as it was, and let's move on to something else. Well, that's pretty challenging. And, and uh, then 30 years later, it's more challenging. <laughs> And, you know, I'm glad you said that, because one of the questions that I had for you that I that I I really always wondered about, you know, even before I knew I was going to get to talk to you. But as, as a fan, you know, you you have a huge history with the band. You're you know, the, you played on original material for, you know, through the 80s and through sort of the, the double trio lineup. But when you come back to this version of the band in 2013, you're playing a lot of music that you didn't originally play. Um, I noticed that. And yeah. And so I, I kind of, you know, there's, there's part of me that, you know, that kind of wonders like is, well, first I was, I'm very curious as to how familiar you were with the Crimson music that you had never played before. If it was part of your listening experience, if it, or if it was like a net new, like, Whoa, I've got to learn sailors. Tale. I'm not entirely familiar with this one. Uh, that's a thank you for for asking that question because it's very personal and interesting. Uh, the the answer to the second part is I didn't know Crimson's music at all, okay. not at all. I learned each piece as I was told to learn it. Not no reason for that. It's just I, I didn't know it. In the same way as when I met Peter Gabriel in 1976 when he left Genesis, I had never heard of Genesis. It just happens that way. Okay. Right. Uh. Uh. So 
pretty much in in the what became the last incarnation or iteration of the band uh we were doing mostly pieces or classic repertoire most of them right. that i had written and what do you know another challenge <laughs> i was already challenged trying to a piece like discipline uh that i was part of writing in 1981 i i was still trying to really get it right the bass part i right. don't mean play it correctly i mean make it better so there's sure. that and now there's in addition but for 90 percent of the show there was this this great bass part that's played by somebody else and i'm not the best guy to just to do be a cover band you want a cover yeah. band bass player that's great and honorable but i'm i'm not the best guy because i like making up parts so this challenge became to me and as a bass player thank you for asking this uh, uh you're even occurred to you because you're a bass player <laughs> yeah. so what do i do how do i deal with this this iconic john wetton bass part and i what i attempted to do was make it mine but stay true to what is special about it and i i i couldn't just hear it one time or 10 times or 100 times and tell you what that is so it's something that i kept working on right till the end right till the last show i'm still trying <laughs> to find that place where i feel like i'm me and and doing what i can do well and where i'm not losing for god you know it, the tony levinness well it, 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 i i don't need to think about what what the tony levinness is usually but if it's a john right. wetton bass part or the other great bass players uh you know i, I actually never just learned it note for note with right. with one or two exceptions trey gunn's uh very difficult uh, uh touch guitar parts in the early 2000s uh i had to start off by just learning it note, note for right. note and, and and some of them were so baffling to me that i didn't change them very much and i forgive myself for that that's okay <laughs> uh, uh it, you know it, it's t for others to judge how well i did but i need to feel like most musicians i need to feel okay about what i'm doing and my approach to the music and i did but it was a, a gigantic challenge doing cover bass versions of of uh, classic bass parts that were pretty uh, there were some pieces that i thought could be improved the bass part and i happily improved it in my musical sense but there were others that were oh yeah this is really great what am i going to do <laughs> uh, is is there a discussion when, so when you're when you're working on you know sort of those those older classic pieces and trying to find you know trying to find your way in as it were is is there a discussion between you and Robert in terms of, you know, where to go, or is it, you know, you guys have worked together so long, I would imagine there is maybe a bit of a shorthand in terms of how you communicate musically and how you, 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 you know, address what he's looking for and yet maintaining your own artistry. Yeah. I, I think we would give you, Robert and I would probably give you very different answers to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's interesting in itself. I always felt that since he approved of me back in the, even before 81, he just let me go. He just, he really gives me very little directions, very little, at least in my opinion. Right. <laughs> but but <laughs> Robert is, is uh, people, I don't think, think about him so much as a band leader. And he has a very, very uh, good ability to try to nudge the band in directions without actually saying, would you play with a pick on this piece the way John did or something like that. Right. Uh, there's been a few where he's he he got me off the easy instrument. I'd be playing the piece on Chapman's stick where I could play it very easily, 
And he'd say, oh, you should play this on bass where I can hardly play it at all. Thank you, Robert. And send me <laughs> off on that path. What, what's consistent between us? I hope he would say the same. Is, is uh, and, and really crucial for a band that's going to get along and, and be a successful band is a lot of respect for each other's, a lot of musical respect for each other. So uh, when Robert's suggesting something, or even a mild direction, or actually says, would you play this? It's pretty rare that I, I can't remember him actually saying, would you play these notes? But maybe he has. But the even if it's notes I don't want to play, even if it's a, a direction that seems not right to me, uh, I I say, I say to myself, he's got something here. I know he does because I know his musicality. I'll try it. it, it a great example is it, 1996. He said, I, I think we should have two bass players or two touch guitar players. I, I know this guy, Trey Gunn. And you should both play bass. And I, I thought, oh, dear, that's uh, <laughs> that's not what I wanted. You know, there's already a lot of notes going around. Let's yeah. do that. <laughs> but because it was Robert and and the band was going to be different that way, uh, I gave it a try. What I didn't know was how musical Trey Gunn is and how right. he, the two of us could work as a, as partners to try to come up with it. Robert didn't, by the way, tell us how to do it. He just said. He yeah, just said, you're both in the band uh, and there's many ways to do it all kinds of things and we just tried to well we did successfully i think uh, you did yeah absolutely not divide it's, it in that's... half but work out strategies interestingly in okay that band ended and then in the 2000s somewhere in the 2000s said robert said right, what, do, what do you think of three drummers yeah <laughs> and, and i didn't think much of three drummers i thought this is going to be a, a blizzard of drums and um I can do it, but oh god! But he had picked the the not three drummers, but the three drummers that he felt could do something special. He didn't tell them how to do it. He left it to them. And I think what he said to them was, uh, "Reinvent rock drumming." Yes, that was their yes. instructions. And and I found after a whole lot of rehearsing, this is not a band that just jumps into shows. We really rehearse a lot, or you could call it R and D, or or doing the the hard homework that needs to be done to create new ways of, of or try to create new ways of, of presenting music. So in that period, I found that, in fact, there amazingly was plenty of room. And in fact, I started playing, I ended up playing, but maybe a little busier than I had played with one drummer, maybe huh. because they had their strategies involved some space, not silent space, but uh, 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 sonic space that I could jump into. I think I, I, I went a little bit uh, again, I'm talking about bass player here. Right? My lows, a little less lows and a little more mids in the sound where there seemed to be a, a, a frequency place that I could uh, uh, speak out. But anyway, again, Robert had the suggestion and I, I thought I, I respect him. I'll try it. And it ended up working well. And, it worked. and, and to go back to the way I started this long explanation, <laughs> I always sensed that, that he respected the way Tony's going to approach this piece. And if I just was myself, which is sometimes not easy, but uh, if I was myself <laughs> and just kind of let myself uh, be inside these pieces, including the older pieces, uh, that he would be happy with the, the what I did. And generally he was. Yeah, yeah it was such a successful lineup. And, and, you know, as you're saying about the three drummers, I remember reading the news and I posted on Facebook. I'm like, Three drummers in King Crimson—that's overkill, even for me. And I was so pleased yeah. to be wrong. I, 
Mm-hmm. I saw this. I saw this lineup three times, and each time was yeah. was just magnificent. And, I've and only let, got you for. And sorry. let's put them on the front of the stage. Where Absolutely, that's all which is brilliant. Sees. Yeah, that, I've only got you for a couple more minutes, and the Tony Levin fan in me um, has two uh, non-Crimson related questions that I'm hoping you can indulge me in. Tony Levin, you yourself are my second favorite bass player. My first favorite bass player is someone that I could actually emulate. And that was Chris Squire. And could you tell this longtime Yes fan what it was like for that brief moment of time when you were in Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe (laughs) in playing those Chris Squire parts, if there's anything that stands out in in your memory about playing that? Well, it's the same subject you already approached because yes. it was playing a cl- more than a classic, an iconic yeah. bass part, every note. And by the way, when we first rehearsed, first I, I made an album with him, but when we first rehearsed for the an album of new material, uh, there was a barn in Pennsylvania uh, and hard. we're working a few hours and I, I, I walked out on a break and uh, in the parking lot were a bunch of cars, maybe four cars with bass players in them with with their bass just in case yeah (laughs) yeah yeah bass players who heard about that we were there and they're just you know and and of course they have been hearing what i was doing which wasn't exactly playing the part which certainly i don't didn't have the 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 same bass and and uh yeah same subject same answer i had to try to be definitely be be myself i'm not i couldn't even play with a pick uh accurately And early on, I think I took a month of, of rehearsing on my own at Cape Cod, uh, rehearsing, practicing, sorry for it, and um, to do justice to it. And I, I play with these drumsticks called Funk Fingers, I call them Funk yeah. Fingers. And I thought, I, I cannot play these parts with that, but here's a big choice. Am I going to spend a month practicing so that I, which is what I did, practicing with the Funk Fingers so that I could put away the pick i'm not very good with the pick and instead i could have practiced with the pick but i decided to go my way and to attempt to play with funk fingers uh some not all but some of, of his parts and some of them i changed and a lot of them i simplified and uh, again i tried to stay true to them but i'm not chris <laughs> yeah my my final question for you is about my favorite tony levin bass line and <laughs> for for no no pressure but for you know, so I'm in Toronto. I'm a Canadian. No and... kidding. I did not know that. <laughs> did I have I a Canadian not, accent? You have no accent at all. It took me <laughs> no, not at all, eh? five seconds hey, to you know go. where you're from. <laughs> so my favorite. I was guessing a, a 20 miles south of Toronto. Actually, was what. Left, but... I, I'm currently sitting right in the hub of downtown Toronto. Okay. Uh, my favorite baseline from you of anything that I've listened to is the song "Cosmetics" by Gowan. All right. Um, it is such an amazing. It, it is such an amazing album opener for Gowan's Strange Animal album. It yeah. was. Um, I, I interviewed um, Lawrence many many years ago, and we spent most of the time raving about prog rock in your playing mm-hmm. on on the entire album. What memories, if any, do you have about the song Cosmetics and working on that album, Strange Animal? I'm going to disappoint you about the song. I don't remember this. I haven't listened to it since then, since it came out. Oh, Tony, you need to go back and listen to that song I, because you're going to blow you're going to blow your mind at how good your playing is on that. I don't know about that, but I, I wrote it down and I will do that uh, today. And today I will go and visit and listen to it. I love him. I I'm in touch with him, and he's a great guy and a great artist. 
uh, what I can tell you is when he first made the first album, he, he, I think he came to England and really wanted Peter Gabriel's yeah. band. And, and we, we, uh, <laughs> I've, I've joked around so much since then with him, but it, what I didn't know him and he just seemed young and enthusiastic and, and different. He had his different sound. So it was a thrill working with him. And I'm going to just tell you a, a sweet thing. When I did his uh, years went by, he became well-known in Canada. I didn't know yes. that because I'm not in Canada and I'm busy right. on tour and do, I'm just busy. And uh, uh, he asked me to come to Toronto and, and do some stuff. And, and so I come to his apartment in Toronto and, and uh, MTV happens to be on and they're playing his thing. And I said, wow, aren't you excited? About that? <laughs> and he was just he, too shy. He didn't know how to tell me that it's kind of, he wasn't the unknown kid that, that did the first right. album. It was really sweet. Like he just uh... He just played a big uh, a big show at Massey Hall last week, wow. um, so he's he is quite beloved in in that uh, the strange animal solo show. Is, it was a solo show, yeah. Okay. It was a solo. Yeah. It was a solo Gowan show, um, and it did really well. And you know, he yeah. goes back. I'm pretty sure he opens with cosmetics. So no kidding. Um, was his brother not, playing bass? I believe I I wasn't at the gig. I had a friend at the gig. The last time, the first and only time I've seen him solo was in 2020 right before the pandemic and he was sort of a bucket list solo artist and his brother was in the band and he, and yeah. he played all the stuff that i wanted to hear so um go cosmetic. and listen to cosmetics man it's cosmetic. really it's really I'm good in. thank you thank you so much for your time thank you for Thanks, for your music and and i yeah. mean it sincerely you've been a, i'm a huge fan and you've been a big uh an inspiration um and the music you've contributed to is really uh in touch my life so yeah, well Thank, Thank you, you for everything. Can't ask for more than that. Thanks very much, Andy. Appreciate Thank you, it. sir. And good luck with well. the, the formerly aspiring bass playing. Uh, it's, good luck with that. It's it's uh, if I ever get any better, I'll let you know. But it's uh, not a good not no not a good chance. Thank you, <laughs> sir. Take care. Be well.